Good evening and welcome to On Frame Radio, conversations about art in Saskatoon. You are listening to CFCR 90.5 FM in Saskatoon or streaming live around the world on cfcr.ca. You can also follow us on Twitter, Facebook or Instagram or listen to past episodes on iTunes. This is your host Alejandro. Tonight we are pleased to have two outstanding university students. They are both in their master's programs. They're in fine arts, in studio arts, and they are at the University of Saskatchewan. Let's welcome Lucas Morneau and Risa Gundesen. Hi there. Hi there. Thank you for coming. I understand that you are in different stages in, in your master programs. Risa, you are finishing this year? Yeah, I'm in my, it's a 24-month program, and I'm in kind of my second year. I'll have a thesis show in defense in September, probably. Lucas, have another more year of experimentation before you graduate. Yes, yes, a lot of experimentation, we'll say. <laughs> Talking about exper experimentation, do you find that uh, being a student allow you a lot of opportunities to experiment or there's a direction in your program that you need to find a portfolio and not a lot of opportunities for experimentation? So I think you begin your first year sort of with a more open kind of mind about it. You're you're messing around a little and then you try to sort of close it in a bit more and get a bit more directionality to your work by your second year because you've got this uh, defense that you'll have to do at the end of the degree in mind. So you do want sort of a cohesive body of work for your final show. And definitely during the, the first year of the, uh, of the program, they've really enforced you into you this just experiment. Personally, I had all these ideas I was going to do when I got here, never did any of them. And I've been experimenting with different processes because of, uh, what they have, uh, wanted me to try out with the facilities here. So Lucas, you are from the East Coast, the Atlantic it's, provinces. Yes, uh, I'm from Newfoundland. Newfoundland. There's not many people from Newfoundland. So hello to all, <laughs> all the people from Newfoundland. Just go and say hello in the university. How's it getting on by? Yeah, oh, that's good. So <laughs> for you, when when you did your 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 bachelor's, I assume that you did it in the East Coast as well. Yes. And and then you came here with ideas. Did you think the landscape have affected that? Well, I one of my friends actually uh, just recently graduated from the program and came back to Newfoundland where I was getting ready to apply for master's programs. And she really uh, encouraged me to apply for the program out here. And I really wanted to go somewhere that was completely different from what I'm used to. I'm used to living in an area that's really rocky, a lot of mountains, uh, a lot of ocean, and Saskatchewan's the opposite of that. It's it's very flat. There's not a lot. There's no ocean at all, and so I wanted to encompass myself around something like that. And I'm really happy that I got accepted here because the landscape has definitely helped shift my artwork def uh, completely. And for you, Risa, you are from Alberta. It's similar, but also you did your fine arts in in Lethbridge, Alberta. In in say that, how do you feel that these two years in Saskatchewan have affected your work? And uh, we we're going to talk about you, what are you doing because it's very interesting. But how do you think was there a shift of you were working on that prior to come here? I don't know if the the landscape necessarily is so much of a, a thing, although I do find uh, I, I learned to tell directions by looking where the mountains were. And now so now I'm just completely lost because <laughs> I can't see the mountains. But the um, 
the the different kind of community and the different environment at the university um, you know every every kind of institution has its own feel to it and I think that's just going to uh, you, you know have a, a major effect on the way you work regardless how do you meet the two of you just just through the program um, back in September, September here yeah. yeah we we all there's not too many people in the master's program there's, there's currently eight people yeah there's there's eight people they'll they'll be getting a few in next September so yeah we all know each other you know very mm -hmm. closely and then uh, funny enough is that both of our studios are right next to each other and then we both live right next no, to yeah. each other. We oh, are really? double neighbors. Yeah, that's very interesting. So the, when you are exhibiting your work for this show that is coming at Boyd, uh, how was the curatorial process for that? Did you just select your pieces or there were some a, a, a group of people that came and select the pieces for the show? Um, pretty much Michael, the, uh, he's the, well, actually, I don't know what his official position at Boyd is, but he runs, he runs the place and he just came by and did some studio visits with us. And so we kind of talked to him about what would be good for the gallery, what he thought might work well together. And then he really handled the whole kind of curatorial situation. We kind of, we dropped our work off and he... You know, he, he took our input about how we'd like it installed, but he more or less handled that aspect of things. And there's a little bit of a difference between, I guess, our two visits, because you already have a lot of work done that space in painting and in uh, printmaking, whereas recently I've been mostly experimenting in performance. And it's really hard to sell a performance piece, so <laughs> I ended up making new work for the exhibition. Well, that's interesting. So... Why the shift from performance work to two-dimensional work that sits in a wall? Mm -hmm. Just for the purpose of exhibiting or it just as some exploration based on the experimentation that you did at the university? I think it was there was that as well. I was uh, just taking a course um, based around altered processes in photography, which are uh, mostly non-silver processes in terms of film and uh, paper developing. So... I was working on a piece that was uh, done with cyanotype on muslin, and I didn't think that was appropriate for the gallery, so I decided to work on a different process that's called gumbichromate and made uh, three prints for the exhibition. Okay. Mm -hmm. I had a chance to stop and look at them. They're uh, beautiful. They're aesthetically very pleasing, mm -hmm. and there's something intriguing about them, uh, which I will get into it later. And same with your paintings. I just had a, an opportunity. You have one painting, large painting, yeah. quite large, and also uh, prints. Uh, why did you choose to have the prints and the, and, and the painting and not all paintings or all prints? Well, I mean, partly it was just a size consideration. That's like my, my smallest painting, and it's 64 by 32 inches, so it's just not that big a gallery. Um, but the, uh, the prints, which are some etchings with acrylic paint on them, um, those were done uh, about a year ago, and they, the small drawing that Um, that became the etching there kind of informed the painting, which I only completed very recently. So it was sort of an earlier stage of that idea. And I, when I was talking with Michael, he quite liked kind of the, um, the, just the relationship of size between the two because the etchings are quite small. 
So we thought it was a nice kind of interplay there. Yeah, and, and aesthetically they work pretty well, I gotta say. Mm-hmm. Uh, it seems that there's a cohesiveness to it, and, and that is, it, it's very, very pleasing. So I, I was, uh, I have some notes here about your work, <laughs> and, and most of your master exhibition show, the thesis that you need to def- uh, defend pretty soon, is about self-portraiture. Yes, that's right. Why did you choose self-portraiture? Well, I kind of I kind of f- fell into it sometime last year. I was working with self-portraiture more in the in the uh, printmaking thing, working through some ideas. And I thought there was something sort of interesting about um, the juxtaposition of sort of historical self-portraiture with contemporary, what is called kind of selfie culture. And there's, I think there's something interesting about placing um, uh, photos of myself that look like selfies and turning those into these oil paintings it kind of um, satirizes the the prestige of the oil painting while elevating the sort of vulgar selfie. And so I think there's something interesting going on there. There's also a kind of idea of immortality with both those mediums, but of course very different things, like things are forever on the internet, which is a, a negative connotation, whereas the oil painting has more a connotation of posterity. So I really like the interplay there. And from that, I kind of got into, um, I was already interested in sort of ideas of disgust and the abject. And I started to experiment with that just based on like setting these portraits in my very messy bedroom and home. So I, I got into ideas of the abject through that, and then I started extending it into the body itself um, with, with many areas of the flesh being really heavily worked and textured in such a way they start to look like, like scabs or tumors or something. And, and so I got into something that I found uh, quite interesting there. And... Um, I'm gonna. I'm writing a thesis, so you'll have to excuse me if I take a deep dive into That's academia okay. here. Um, <laughs> I will ask you to translate. So. <laughs> <laughs> sure, sure. I uh, so so a lot of theories of abjection have to do with margins of the body. So uh, from th- so the idea is from the time that we first sort of differentiate our bodies from our mother's bodies. Um, We situate ourselves as a subject and everything else as the abject. This doesn't mean that the abject doesn't exist within us. It's all a process in our minds. So basically the process of being a person, being a self, is a process of casting everything else in the abject. So treating images of myself in an abject or repulsive way I think is quite interesting because it presents this this paradox. Um, A good example is um, of the the corpse, which Julia Kristeva cites as this kind of um, universal abject. So, uh, we all know 
that we're going to die one day and that the corpse is always present within us. But it's not an idea we can hold in our minds because the pushing back of that idea is what kind of defines us as living. So this position of self is very unstable and the, the pushing away, the turning other things into abject is this constant process. So with the self-portraiture, by externalizing um, this simulacrum of myself, it allows me to sort of address the abject within myself while keeping it outside. So sort of avoiding that, that mental paradox. So <laughs> that's, that's kind of going where I'm going with my thesis. Yes, that's great. If we were, <laughs> if we have audiences that they don't understand academia much, and I know that is important in the process. If you were going to explain or describe your paintings in, in everyday language, what would you describe them? They have flesh exposed to the open and and those are the scars of life but also you just talk about the portraiture in facebook and and those identities that get created there i'm interested to hear about that and because i'm pretty sure you don't have those images of you naked with scabs in on facebook <laughs> not so much i think of uh sort of selfie culture as this platform for displaying, uh, I guess, successful gender performances. So you make yourself up to look, and now I, this is coming obviously from a, a female perspective, but you make yourself up to look very nice. You take a beautiful picture of yourself. Look how good I am at being a pretty woman. So I'm addressing kind of an inverted performance. It's not, it's still a performance, but it's like an opposite performance there and well you just present the scars of the body and the body is not yeah. objectized as much as the figure in the selfie picture in facebook for example yeah so it's instead of trying to look real pretty it's trying to look the the opposite trying to look like repulsive and and sort of scary and so when people look at the paintings they they can't just look at them and be like oh isn't this nice and pretty it it looks scary it looks grotesque and so when you feel disgusted by something you feel that in your own body you feel ooh gross or if you see something like that you might feel uh sorry for the body for the way it looks so you feel that in your own body too so i think that's that's important that the the person looking at the body in the photograph becomes aware of their own body and it it disrupts kind of the power imbalance there i guess which is interesting because lucas your work is opposite to this it's very aesthetically posed mm -hmm. uh, it has a uh, very subtle colors it's not explosive it's just sort of uh, put you in a place of voyeurism mm -hmm. yeah i could say that uh, there's a, a nice little parallel there um with my own work, uh, I guess because it's a photography that you're seeing over in Void, it's, for me, I always end up having this aesthetically looking, uh, aesthetic pleasing, per se, uh, work. And it's mostly because I'm working uh, with specific lighting. So I actually use flashlights and do long exposure. So the works end up being very painterly, and uh, the lighting is very aesthetically pleasing compared to a, a flash. Now, with my own work, uh, with, with the photo work, I tend to work with uh, 
the body as well and its deterioration through stressors such as chronic pain and mental illness. And so the with the series I'm doing at Void, it really focuses on my own struggles with seasonal affective disorder. And uh, I guess especially this this winter, my first time being out here in Saskatoon for winter and experiencing the winter here compared to Newfoundland, um, I, I've really noticed the the effects of uh, of my mental illness showing up more and more in my daily life. And so the series itself, um, it's three photographs of me covered up in uh, blankets. And some of them look like women. Yeah, yeah, and that's that's like probably a, because... Like a Goyesque uh, uh, forms or seated like one of those old uh, uh, reference in some of all those paintings. So mm-hmm. uh, how much of that is revealing of your personality? Probably a lot because uh, as a performance artist, I perform as a, as a drag queen. Oh, okay. So my, my work has this uh, switch in gender from from my photo work and sculptural work, which is me as a man versus my performance work, which is me dressing up as a drag queen. So yeah, there's definitely some crossovers there, I'd say. Mm-hmm. I was I was going to say, I think some of the, the gender bending in your work too, um, you, you said the, the word painterly, and I think there are sort of those historical implications and sort of the way you're often um, supine or sort of relaxed, mm-hmm. that kind of posing in the photographs has this um, implication to do with, with the way historical nudes are painted and the supine kind of figures were often female. Yeah. So I think there's some implications there as well. Yeah. And there's also some references within the, the prints that I have at Void uh, to Demache, who did a lot of work with women who are relaxed and posing. So, so. you use yourself in sort of a feminine pose in prints that are self-portraits. Yes. That's, that's, that's good to know. Uh, some of that, you know, I will, I will not, after looking up your work, I will never, I didn't assume that it was you. Mm-hmm. I thought that you were doing work of people, which it makes it intriguing. There's no yeah. faces. Mm-hmm. Uh, so who took the photograph? I took the photograph. Um, so I have this process of the actual photos I have for this series they, uh, they're digital photos that are then printed into large negatives. So I just set my camera's timer on, I run into the shot, get the blankets on, and then when the timer goes off, the exposure lasts around 20 seconds. So that allows me 20 seconds to take my flashlight and slowly light the scene around me. And what I try not to do, what you see a lot happen when you have long exposures, people will do those light drawings where they like spell out something or draw something in the sky. And it ends up being this drawing after the photo is taken. Whereas with this series, I'm just trying to paint the light on without facing, the, pointing the flashlight towards the camera. So the whole scene is lit dramatically by the light, but you don't have this light drawing that's happening. Okay. If that makes sense, I guess. Yeah, it, it's, yeah. it's uh, it shows in the work and it looks very painterly too. Mm-hmm. Even though it's not paint. Yeah, and the, and the actual process of gun bike for me is very much related to... Uh, painting it uses uh, watercolor pigments to make the colors and during the process of developing or washing you can actually brush off the pigment and that allows you to get a more painterly image so within the the series that i did instead of painting them uh, painting some parts off i used a spray bottle to reveal some of the other colors that i've layered onto the print 
Anything else that you have to uh, comment about this uh, work that we haven't covered uh, now? Because I have other questions about mm -hmm. uh, future projects and what's not. Not, uh, not, a, not a whole lot. I sort of, you know, <laughs> just just covered a lot of what I'm I'm thinking about for my for my thesis here. Yeah. Well, the only other thing I'm. Most of the show will be self-portraiture. I'll probably be doing um, a few still lifes as well that are to do with um, like the rotten food in my own refrigerator. Mm -hmm. So there's a bit of a, a discussion there. Um, it, it relates to the sort of internet selfie culture like food blogging, uh, but also about interior feminine spaces there and these spaces becoming extensions of the body. And there's also some nice uh, formal relationships between the rotting food and the, the scabby, tumorous flesh. So I'm going to experiment with that a little bit and uh, so see where that you, goes. So uh, did you reference your, your, your painting process it, into medicine, uh, magazines or medicine? To, uh, you talk about this tumor, so it just that looks like tumors or you research uh, real tumors in, me in medical uh, journals? Uh, it's it's not really based in any kind of scientific thing. It's more just sort of abstracted material growth. So, so the decision of putting those tumors where you put them is is, is an aesthetic uh, constructive. It's more construction of composition than where the tumor really will grow. Yeah, the the specific um, areas that I start to work tend to be just sort of intuitive as I'm working the painting. It becomes clearer to me what areas I want to distort and what I want to highlight. Um, the, uh, the, the sort of scratching off and scabby areas um, references uh, sort of... Um, an experience of anxiety, like self-soothing uh, sort of destruction of the of the flesh by like scratching at places over and over until it starts to bleed. That sort of um, physical process it references, but the 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 spots on the skin itself, uh, the way they're constructed in the painting is largely sort of a formal concern. So there's a connection here with, with your works, even though you, you didn't work it together. As I listen to you, and I'm pretty sure our audience will will pick on that, that uh, you talk about mental illness or mm -hmm. a mental condition uh, could be anxiety it could be whatever it is and then you talk about uh, another mental condition which is anxiety of scratching and scratching and scratching and scratching mm -hmm. which is interesting because uh, uh, the work is together and perhaps that's information i don't know if if it was just something that happens sounds you know like it just happens without mm -hmm. any conversations about uh, the subject matter of that was that something that randomly occurred when the work was put together i think that a lot of uh the students like out of all eight of us a, a, a few of us work with the body and whether it be with uh things like body dysmorphia or dealing with the sexuality there's uh, an interconnectedness I find within a lot of the students in the program and I guess that's one of the ways that this exhibition really works is that a lot of it is interconnected 
even though the mediums are completely different. So what do you what do you think uh, this phenomenon occurs that the body is so important in both of your work? Hmm. I mean, I think just generally the idea of um, of making work, making writing, making art that comes from a very uh, a very personal place is is sort of a major trend right now. Um, I think a lot of it has to do with with recognizing sort of the authority of the I narrative and allowing people to tell their own stories rather than telling it for them. Mm -hmm. So I think that's that's a very kind of contemporary trend. And I think, you know, just as a result of of that, a lot of people are, are working with those types of ideas. Yeah. And then we're seeing a lot as well with uh, within hospitals, et cetera, that we're seeing art therapy become a big thing. And from my own personal standpoint, I, I view my art practice as therapeutic as well. I personally suffer from a neurological disorder called cluster headaches, which are basically a very severe form of migraines. And through my art practice, I actually can help ease the pain that I feel during a, a cluster attack. Well, that's, that's, that's pretty good that you found that uh, opportunity to mm -hmm. just uh, neutralize that pain. And we're almost here at the end of the evening. And I just want to uh, give you the opportunity to share something with the audience that you haven't revealed yet. And what is in the future for you both? Uh, and I will start with Risa. Oh, well, the, the future is very frightening. Um, <laughs> I, I, I have plans to, to possibly pursue a, a teaching career in the, in the nearer future, though it's really um, just uh, uh, kind of building up my CV, getting a lot involved in as many kind of shows and residencies and things like that as I can and um, just kind kind of seeing what comes from that. Mm -hmm. And for me, it's I'm still at the stage of my uh, master's where I'm experimenting. So I have really no idea which direction I'm going, but I'm having a lot of fun with what I'm doing and exploring, I guess, the art of drag through performance is something that I'm really starting to enjoy. And I'm actually kind of hopping around to the bars out here. So you, if you're out some night, you may actually see me in drag. So... Well, you say hello hi. because probably I wouldn't recognize you. Yeah. <laughs> we should just mention before we, we run out of time the other uh, mm -hmm. artists in the show. So there's uh, seven of us in the show, myself and Lucas, and then Zoe Schneider, Marie Webster, Chiming Sun, uh, Negar Tajgarden, and Aaron Both mm -hmm. are the other artists in the show, and they're all uh, MFA students. They're all also in their in their first year. They're in the same year as Lucas, mm -hmm. and all have very difficult last name to pronounce. Yeah. The sound of it. <laughs> yeah, there's yes. there's definitely yeah. We all we all uh, maybe have some tricky ones. Yeah. <laughs> I'm glad that I don't have them all at the same time because if not, I would have <laughs> not been able to say the name. So mm -hmm. and. The show is at Boyd Art Gallery. Can That's you right. give information about when is the opening? What is uh, when in, when when the show is happening? Are you going to do any artist talk or how? What is the format of the evening? 
Uh, so we're not doing any kind of formal artist talks or anything. The The opening is going to be on uh, this coming Thursday, the 6th, at uh, 7 p.m. till probably... Yeah, seven to nine-ish. These things are always a little nebulous. But uh, I think we'll all be there and we'll, you know, be happy to have conversations uh, about uh, the work on that night. And then the show is up at Void until April 30. Our audiences have an opportunity to go and look at them with mm-hmm. time. Mm-hmm. And the, the other thing uh, that I wanted to uh, mention before we close is just let's go out and support our emerging artists. There are some with more experience. There are some others that are just building their career and it's important to support them, give them feedback. And also for you, which you lock, both of you in your careers, mm-hmm. I hope you stayed in Saskatchewan. Thank you. you don't get too scared of it. There's <laughs> a good uh, artist uh, environment here is it's it's uh, a striving community for that and still affordable the place affordable <laughs> not as good it's as important Newfoundland, not as good as Newfoundland <laughs> but oh, there isn't dear. as big as an art community out yeah. there yet thank you very much for coming I look forward to see you on Thursday thank you for having us yeah thanks so much you were listening to on frame radio conversations about art in Saskatoon on CFCR 90.5 FM in Saskatoon or streaming live around the world on cfcr.ca. You can also follow us on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook or listen to past episodes on iTunes. This is your host Alejandro and have a great evening.